continue with our series uh, on the prophets. And today we're talking about steps to spiritual renewal that we see here in Ezra chapter 3. And so we have a little bit of a long text. I'm going to read it for us today starting in verse 1. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Verse 8. Now in the second year, after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. Verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord, house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout. And the sound was heard far away. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage you've given us. And Lord, as we look at this passage today that 
that the words that, that, I've, that I've put down on paper, that, that I have before me, Lord, will, will be your words, that you'll speak through me, fill me with your spirit, that these people will receive your message today as we look at this passage about what it means, Lord, to, to have a spiritual renewal just, just from this description, what, you can, what principles we can gain from this today. And we give this time to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text picks up with the nation of Israel still in exile. But the Babylonians who took them into exile ultimately had been conquered. They were no longer the world power. And so there's a new world power on the scene, the Persians. Now the Persians would eventually fall to a man named Alexander of Macedon who would become Alexander the Great. Uh, That would usher in the Greek Empire. But for now, the Persians were the dominant empire. And if you enjoy history, you can trace back to the time of Moses, and we can, see, and we can name the dominant world powers in order. It, it first was Egypt, and then it became Israel for a time with King David and King Solomon and on. And then it came Assyria, and then Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome, which led into the Roman Empire. So you see Israel's place in history. They're involved with all this world history, even into the time of the Roman Empire. So Ezra takes place as the Israelites are still in exile in this foreign land. They're living in the areas of Babylon, in this area out in the outskirts. And King Cyrus of Persia has now given them a decree, has allowed them to move back to what is now the desolate territory of Israel, and literally from scratch to start rebuilding their country. Can you imagine what a massive undertaking that would be? So in this passage, we see a few principles of spiritual renewal. There's, there's spiritual renewal principles all throughout Scripture, but in, in this one passage we see, I believe, at least three elements that we see them doing that we can apply to our own lives. If you want spiritual renewal in your life, in the life of a church, in the life of a family, whatever it is, three things that we see are indispensable for the believer. Number one, when there's spiritual renewal, there is a renewal of congregational worship. Congregational worship. Verse 1 says that when the seventh month had come, they were all in their towns, they all came together as one in Jerusalem, the first thing that they did was they built the altar, which is how they worship, through sacrifices. They built the altar of God. It's the first thing they did was they worship. They didn't, from we can tell, they didn't have like a preview service or something. They didn't do it halfway. They, when they had everybody ready, they all came as one to Jerusalem and they Worship. They, they burned the prescribed offerings as God's word instructed because sacrifices were central to their worship. So the first thing they do is they, is they worship. Verse 3, they put the altar, they set it in its place where it should go. And it says that they were fearful of the people of the lands, the surrounding lands, so they continued to offer these burnt offerings. They were fearful of the people because they're leaving the protection, so to speak, of the Persian Empire. They're going to a place... It would be very similar to the Wild West. Lawless, no one living there, starting a community, rebuilding a community from scratch. 
And there's people out there in the, in the outskirts, enemies. They were vulnerable. They had no army. They had no protection. And here they are trying to do what's right and renew themselves spiritually and worship. They made worship a priority. You know, many of you know that I love sports. Many of you know that I love especially college football. But, you know, I don't really go to a lot of the games anymore. Did you know that? And I have 12 reasons why I'm going to give you. 12 reasons why I don't really go to a lot of the games or the Gamecock games. No, I'll go to high school games, but a lot of the Gamecock games I don't go anymore. First of all, you know, it's really expensive. Every time I go, they want more money, right? See, they want money every time I, I go, and so that's the first one. Secondly, uh, a lot of times when I would go to these games, the people sitting in my, ro in my row, they just weren't very friendly. Just weren't very friendly. I didn't want to be around that. The third reason is, if you've ever been to a game, the seats are hard and uncomfortable. And you have to sit there for three and a half hours. And so I don't want to do that sometimes, right? And, you know, it, and from age 8 to 22, I did not, I missed maybe one or two home games, growing up in Columbia, the Gamecock games, maybe one or two home games from age 8 to 22. And you know the, you know the coach never came to visit me? <laughs> never. And there were multiple coaches. You know, I didn't even get an assistant coach to visit me. None, right? After all that time. That was number four. Five, very often the referees would make decisions that I didn't agree with. So, you know, why would I want to go to that when that happens, right? Number six, uh, I was often sitting with, him, uh, with, with, with hypocrites because they were only there to see what other people were wearing. I didn't understand that. They weren't there to watch the game. Number seven, sometimes the game would go into overtime and I'd be late getting home. And, I, you know, I've, I'm, life's too busy to, to, to bother with that, right? Every now and then, number eight, the band would play some songs that I'd never heard before. You know, I don't know that song. Don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to hear that. But they would play it anyway, right? And one of the big things is the games are scheduled on Saturdays, which is my only day to sleep in and run errands. It's the only day I can do anything to myself. And so I can't, you know, I don't really have time to, to travel and to go do that. But, I, you know, I was psychoanalyzing myself. And, and number 10, I wrote this down, too. I think one of the reasons I don't like to go to them now is because uh, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. That's number 10. They just took me whether I wanted to go or not. I went. I went to home games. I went to away games. I didn't get to decide whether I went or not. You know, went to all kinds of places. And then number 11, you know, I was a, a sports journalist for a while before I went to ministry. And I've, I've watched a lot of sports. And, you know, I feel like I know as much as the coaches, if not more, anyway, right? So why do I want to go there? And then number 12, this is really the clincher. I don't really want to take my children to a lot of games because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. That's what I'd like for them to do, right? Clearly, you catch the joke, do you? You can see what I'm, what I'm doing here. Do these reasons for not wanting to go to a football game sound familiar? You can substitute these names for church, Pastor, leaders, deacons, congregants, worship leaders, choir, right? You've probably heard these excuses before, why people will not go to worship. Now, I'm kind of speaking to the choir today, metaphorically, since you're all here. Right? But, when you, but when you feel like you need spiritual renewal in your life, 
The first thing you should make center, if you haven't already, is to make worship a priority. There's something powerful about a group of people coming together for a, a common purpose of worshiping God. We're all in here today for the same reason, to worship God. There's power in a room where everyone can essentially agree about why they are there. Worship is the baseline of what we do as a Christian. You know, we live in a highly individualized society that doesn't value corporate worship. We hear people say they can worship at home. They can worship out by the lake. They can worship at the beach by themselves. And that's true. They certainly can. But God has us worshiping together. And any truly homebound person or working person who's watching online today would tell you they'd much rather be, if they could, be worshiping God with the people of God. So we have spiritual renewal we're going to have that in our life. We, we need to make worship a priority. Secondly, when there's spiritual renewal, there is a renewal of congregational obedience. A renewal of congregational obedience. It says, verse 4, that they kept the Feast of Booths. This is one of the most important festivals that they had, where they, where they would go and sleep in a tent in a booth for a week. It showed that they were committed to obeying God and his, what he said he, to do. And number, and number Verse 5 says that they did the regular burnt offerings, and they did the offerings for the new moon. And they did all these things. And we see this, this committed obedience. But in the second half of verse 6, they realized something they hadn't quite done yet. The foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Solomon's glorious temple had been destroyed by the Assyrians and Babylonians and everyone. And they would have to rebuild this temple from the ground up, from matchsticks, so to speak. Right? So what did they do? They, they pulled their money together. They got to work. Verse 7, they gave money to the masons, the brick masons, the carpenters, those who put the wood together, right? Who make the wooden material and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees in. All this according to the grant that Cyrus said, go and do this. Here is money. Here is funds. I'm going to help you rebuild it. Go rebuild it. Now this is a very different approach from when Solomon built his temple. He was the king of the known world. He had every resource imaginable he would tell nations we want your trees they would give them to him we need your wood they would give them to us he had people that helped and he built this magnificent palace but this is a very difficult very different situation the israelites this time are coming back with poverty the poorest of the poor the fact they can even do this is because they've been giving money from the government here's a grant go do it so they did what they could to scrape up enough money, pay people to build. And they could have said it was too hard. They could have said it was too expensive. But their commitment to be obedient is what led them to doing this. 
And after working on the temple, they continued to obey God by then assigning the temple workers from the appropriate tribe, the Levites. Verse 8 talks about this, that in the second year, um, verse, verse 8, the, 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 the second month, Zerubbabel and, and, and Jeshua, they made a beginning, it says. They made a beginning, and together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, who all had come from captivity, and they appointed the Levites who were 20 years old and upward. To be a Levite, you had to be between 20 and 50. You retired at 50, so I'm only six years away from that. <laughs> but it was 20 to 50. There's the able-bodied men, because the Levites were essentially butchers. They were offering the sacrifice. They had to be strong, able-bodied men. And they appointed those from the, from the proper tribes. And Jeshua with his son... In Cadmill, they supervised the workmen. Verse 10, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vessels, they came forward with trumpets and cymbals. They're getting it all prepared, all ready to be built. Because they're being obedient to the command of God. In the 1870s, there's something, a war that you may not have heard of, called the Franco-Prussian War. And it was essentially a war between what we now know as the German people and the French. Now, the French were still were an empire, so to speak, that was declining with all the Napoleons that, that ran it and everything. And they were still trying to assert their dominance in the region and the growing Prussian Empire, which were the Germans of the day. They, they took exception. And so they had a battle, and the Germans eventually marched into Paris and sieged it and ended the skirmish. And there was a man, a soldier for France, named Pierre Barlow. And he was a gunner at one of the forts during the Prussian siege of Paris as it was coming to an end and France was losing. And the enemies were surrounding them in their own city. And he's standing by his gun, and his general spoke to Pierre, and he said, Gunner, you see the bridge over there? He said, Yes, sir, I see it. He said, Do you see that little shanty house to the left? Yes, sir, I believe it's a nest of Prussians. I want you to shell it. So he looks in his sight, and he sees the shanty house, and looks again, and hesitates a little bit. He says, Go ahead, shoot. So he shoots, and he hit it, and the shanty exploded and was destroyed. He says, great hit, my man. And he looked down at Pierre, and Pierre had a tear coming down his eye. So what's wrong? He said, pardon me, General. That shanty was my house. Everything I had in the world. There's a cost of obedience. This is a wartime situation. And for Pierre, the cost was hard. Because they ended up losing the war, and they ended up losing the house. But that moment, he was following orders. He was being obedient. Now, we know the outcome. And in our own life, every day we see spiritual battles that God calls for our obedience. But unlike poor Pierre, we know the outcome of the battle. Amen? We know the ultimate outcome of the war that God wins. Imagine the, the confidence uh, soldiers would have if they knew the outcome of the war. How more motivated they would be to fight. How more motivated they would be to, to, to be obedient, to follow orders. They didn't even know the outcome and they're still being obedient. We know the end result. We know the outcome. 
how much more obedient should we be? Amen? Are we too afraid of the costs? Are we too afraid to give up our earthly shanties for the mansions in heaven? Amen? Are we too afraid to do that for spiritual renewal to take place in a person's life, in a church, in a family? There must be that congregational obedience to God's word. And number three, there is a renewal of congregational praise. A renewal of congregational praise. The foundation of the temple had been built. The nails had been hammered in. The bricks had been laid. And there it is. Just the foundation. Just the floor, so to speak. You know, there's, there's construction all over our area. You drive by, something's always being built. And every now and then when you drive by, you'll see just the foundation's built. It's just the beginning. It's really, it's nowhere near being complete. It's just the beginning of it. But they celebrate over just little wins, little but costly obedience. Look at verse 11. They sang responsively, praising, giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. This is a refrain from Psalm 118. They're singing directly from Scripture of what the Lord has done. And this is what we should be singing. Now, we're very careful about the songs we pick out at 8.30 and 11 o'clock. We don't want to just be singing about ourselves all the time. We want to be singing about what God has done in our lives and what He's done. We sang those songs today. What God has done for us. And that's what they're saying. God has done this. Now these are people who've been away from their homeland for generations now. Some had never even seen their homeland. And they're celebrating with just the foundation being laid. It says in verse 11 that the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house, the temple, was laid. You have singing. You have shouting. They're both appropriate responses to worship. This is why we even say amen. This is why we even clap when we worship. This is why we cheer sometimes even in here because it is appropriate. We see God's people doing it. Verse 12, but many of the priests and the Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men, who had seen the first house, they had seen the first temple, they wept when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. But many shouted for joy. Some of the old timers, they remembered the first temple, which was magnificent. When they see the foundation being laid, they, they wept. Think about these men had memories of the temple when they were seven, eight, nine, ten years old seeing the magnificence of this temple, seeing what it was, and then they saw it destroyed. And they saw the horrors of war. They saw people they knew killed and raped and pillaged and people's eyes gouged out and people being dragged away to captivity. They saw the horrors of war. They knew what it was like beforehand. They saw the horrors of the war, and now they're back, and they see the foundation, and they weep. They cry, they shout because of how 
good God was to them. Amen. And they wept loudly because their spirit is being renewed. They're worshiping. They're being obedient. They're praising God for what he's doing. Look at verse 13. It said it was so loud, the crying and the shouting was so loud that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. When I was a young boy, eight or nine years old, my parents first they actually just sold this house. They built it 30-something years ago. And where I, where I lived out in Northeast Columbia, there was nothing out there but a gas station and some houses in Spring Valley High School. And on Friday nights, I could pull my window up, and I could, two miles away was the high school, maybe longer, and I could hear the band playing. I could hear the crowd. When, when something would happen, I could hear the crowd cheering. And that's just a few thousand people. How many people were here? When they laid the foundation... We know from future readings that, that there was a lot of problems building this temple. They quit. They came back. There was a lot of, there was a lot of obstacles. And that will happen, too, in your life when there's spiritual renewal. You're going to face obstacles. But this little win of, of putting the foundation down, a start, was celebrated so much that people could hear it from far away, years Decades of being in this spiritual desert, finally a few drops of water on the ground. And they're praising God. I don't think that we celebrate enough God's people. And you don't celebrate enough maybe in your own life. When you do, do it right. You know, we know we're sinners. We're constantly being told and we need to repent of our sin. And trust the Lord. But do you celebrate when you see God's goodness in your life when there's obedience? We should do that more often. Amen. You should do that with people in your life. With your family. With your friends. When you see them renewing their lives. When you see them growing closer to the Lord. Tell them. Celebrate it. Because when we celebrate the little wins. When the big times come, when the big problems come, we can rely on God even much more than we can. And we see this happening. We, we praise God when we're doing His work. We're going to have a time of invitation here in a minute. Maybe today you thought, there's some things in my life that are not right. I'm unsure what to do or how to change. Maybe you just need to come down to these steps today and say, Lord, help me be renewed. Lord, forgive me my sin. Help me trust you, Lord. Help me be renewed. Maybe you just need some prayer. I'll be glad to pray for you. You don't have to go into all the details about what you need. You can if you'd like, but I can pray for you. Or maybe you've never been renewed. You've never experienced renewal because you've never had renewal. <laughs> You've never been saved in the first place. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never turned from your sin and say, Lord, create 
a new heart in me. Feel, let me be born again. Maybe you've never made that decision. Today is the day where you can do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being able to come in here and worship you and, and, and to sing and to shout and to amen and, and all these things that we do, Lord. And we thank you that it's appropriate for us to show emotion. Lord, all across the world or the country last night, thousands of people were shouting and losing their voice over a game. But Lord, this is real life. This has eternal consequences. And are we shouting? Are we thanking you for what you've done for us? Let us not take for granted, Lord, that we have a place to come and worship every single Sunday. These Israelites had nowhere for decades and generations. Let's never take for granted 112 East Main Street, Monk's Corner. We're a blessed people. We're a blessed congregation. And Lord, we thank you for that. So as we close our time together today, or if there's one that needs you to come into their life in a special way, in a, in a way of renewal today, they would open their heart to you. We love you. We ask these things.